be trouble You might wish for one thing But you end up getting double The trouble with wishes Are they're such a tricky thing So be careful what you wish for And the trouble it may bring The house was two miles from the nearest paved road, but after going only ten feet along the dusty trail, the children started poking their heads out of the car windows, asking, Are we there yet? And every time they passed a house, which wasn't very often, they all said, Is this it? But it never was, until they reached the very top of the hill, just past the pond but before you come to the forest. And then there it was. A greenhouse with a wild green garden and the woods right behind it. And their mom said, here we are. Charlie spoke first. Look how green the house is. Then Charlotte. And look at all the trees. Then Ollie. And the flowers. Sam shrugged his shoulders. It's okay. The baby just said, out, out. And Dad stopped the car in front of the house. The kids nearly trampled each other, scrambling out of the car to stretch their legs for the first time in what seemed forever, though it had really only been about four hours in the car. Mom, curiously enough, was in no hurry to get out. And even when she did step out of the car and into the fresh mountain air, she seemed to be more interested in inspecting the summer cabin instead of joining in that first wonderful run around the wildflowers and the thick wilderness behind the house. It wasn't really a pretty house at all. It was quite ordinary. Dad said that the wooden framing looked like an architect's nightmare. But the house was way out in the forest, with no other house in sight. And the children had been in the city for two years without once going to the mountains, even for a weekend. So the greenhouse seemed sort of like a special castle in the middle of a wilderness wonderland. You see, the city can be like a cage for children. Of course, there are toy stores and museums and things, but you can't go to toy stores and museums every day. And nearly everything in the city is the wrong sort of shape, all straight lines and paved streets, instead of being all sorts of odd shapes, like things are in the mountains. Trees are all different, as you know, and I'm sure some tiresome person must have told you that there are no two blades of grass exactly alike. But on paved streets, where the blades of grass don't grow, everything is like everything else. And this is why so many children who live in cities are so extremely naughty. They don't know what's the matter with them, and neither do their mothers and fathers, aunts, uncles, cousins, math tutors, babysitters, and doctors. But I know, and so do you now. The children had explored the garden and the wild grass and pine trees around the house quite thoroughly before they were caught and cleaned up for a late lunch, and they saw quite well that they were certain to be happy at the greenhouse. They thought so from the first moment, but when they found the back of the house covered with jasmine, which smells like the most expensive perfume that ever existed, 
And when they had seen the wild grass as tall as their heads and much different from the brown grass in the city, they were almost certain. And when Charlie had found the broken swing and fell off and got a lump on his head the size of an egg, and Sam nipped his finger in the door of an old abandoned chicken coop, they no longer had any doubts whatsoever. They were definitely going to have the best summer of their lives. The best part of it all was that there were no rules about not going to places and not doing things. In the city, almost everything is labeled do not touch. And even though the label is invisible, that just makes it worse because you know it's there. And if you pretend you don't, you certainly get told. The greenhouse, as I've mentioned, was at the top of a hill with thick woods behind it and the pond below on one side and more woods on the other. From the top of the hill, you could look past the pond back down the valley, where a cluster of oddly shaped old buildings sat at the beginning of the paved road. And in the evenings, when the chimneys were smoking and the sun was setting, the whole valley looked as if it was filled with golden mist, and the windows on the houses sparkled like they were an enchanted city. Now that I've begun to tell you about the place, I feel like I could go on and make this into an interesting story about all the ordinary things the children did that summer. Just the kind of things you do yourself, you know, and you would believe every word of it. And if I told you about the children doing childish things, just as you sometimes do, your parents would probably look at each other and say things like, how true, and you would see them do that and probably get annoyed. So I will only tell you the really astonishing things that happened that special summer. And you can listen along no matter who can hear, for no moms or dads are likely to say, how true, when they hear this story. Grown-ups find it very difficult to believe really wonderful things, unless they have what they call proof. But children will believe almost anything, and grown-ups know this. That is why they tell you that the earth is round like an orange when you can see perfectly well that it's flat and lumpy and why they say that the earth goes around the sun when you can see for yourself any day that the sun gets up in the morning and goes to bed at night. Yet, you probably believe all that about the earth and the sun and if so, you'll find it quite easy to believe that before Ollie and Sam and the others had been at that summer house in the mountains for even a week, they had found a fairy. Well, a gnome, really, to be more specific. But it was not at all like any gnome you ever saw or heard or read about. One day, early that summer, Dad had to go away suddenly on business. And a few days later, Mom had to go back to the city to be with Grandma, who wasn't feeling very well. Nicole, the babysitter, who had come to live with the family for the summer, stayed in the greenhouse with the kids. But when Mom and Dad were both gone, the house seemed quiet and empty, and the children wandered from one room to the other and wished they had something to do. It was Sam who said, Hey, Let's take our shovels and go dig in the gravel by the creek. Dad says there are seashells that are thousands of years old. So they went. 
Of course, they had already been to the creek. It was about ten minutes from the house if you ran fast, following the trail that went straight into the woods behind the house. Each of the children carried their own plastic shovel and took turns carrying the squirt. He was the baby, and his real name was Thomas, not the squirt, but they called him that mostly because he was so small. And when he ate, it seemed like at least half of his food would squirt out of his hands and onto the floor. Soon, the crew of children arrived at a small clearing in the woods with no trees at all, where a creek ran through a wide and sandy gravel bed. The children started splashing around in the creek, but Charlotte was worried they'd all catch cold, so she made them all stop. Well then, said Charlie, let's build a dam out of rocks, and we can cross the creek without getting wet. So the children started collecting rocks, which wasn't hard since they were all over the place. Imagine how there used to be ocean water here, said Charlotte, as she picked up a rock the size of a baseball, perfectly round and smooth. I bet there were fish everywhere here, and eels and coral and mermaids. What happened to the ocean? asked Charlie. Dad says the earth got too hot underneath, like you do in bed sometimes, explained Sam. So it just hunched up its shoulders, and the sea slipped right off like a blanket, and the shoulder was left sticking out and turned into dry land. Come on, let's go look for shells. I think I see something sticking out there, like an old ship's anchor. The others agreed. But Ollie went on digging up rocks. She always liked to finish a thing once she started it. The ship's anchor turned out just to be an old axe handle, and someone suggested going home for lemonade, when Ollie suddenly screamed, Sam, come here, come quick, it's alive, it'll get away quick. They all hurried back. It's just a rat, said Charlie. Dad says there are always rats in old places, and this must be pretty old if the sea was here thousands of years ago. Maybe it's a snake, said Charlotte, shuddering. It's not a rat said Ollie. It's much bigger, and it's not a snake. It's got feet. I saw them and fur. No, not the shovel. You'll hurt it. Take with your hands and listen to this. It sounds crazy, but it said something to me. It said, you leave me alone. But Sam just thought his sister was crazy, and he and Charlie dug with their shovels while Ollie stood at the edge of the gravel bed, jumping up and down. They dug carefully, and soon everyone could see that there really was something moving in the gravel. Then Ollie cried out, I'm not afraid, let me dig, and fell on her knees and began to scratch like a dog does when he suddenly remembers where he buried his bone. Oh, I felt fur, she cried half laughing and half crying. Suddenly, a dry, husky voice in the sand made them all jump back, and their hearts nearly jumped as fast as they did. Leave me alone! And that was how the children met their very first forest gnome. They didn't know it at the time, but from then on, their summer was going to be filled with wishes and dreams and adventures and flights of fancy that people like your parents generally dismiss with a wave of their hand and say something like, simply untrue. But believe me when I tell you, the forest gnome was as real as the day is long, sometimes longer than these children ever could have wanted. 
This is not a tale on a dog or a cat. This is not a tale on a whale or a bat. This is not a tale that shivers when it's cold. This is just a tale untold. Tales untold.